Amen. Please uh, do be seated. And uh, if you've got uh, a Bible in front of you or a Bible on your phone, feel free to, to pick it up. We're going to turn to, if we're using the church Bibles, to page 1074. Actually, 1075. There you go. 1, 1175. 1175. Um, and it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 uh, to 21. Just eight verses this morning. This is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, don't know about you, but, but when we you know, come to pray, it can be sort of overwhelming. We've got so many needs of our own that we need to pray about. And, and then, of course, there's the needs of the world. You know, we've prayed just for a few of them today, the, the war in Ukraine, uh, sort of the huge strains and, on, the, and, on the NHS. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, we haven't even had time to pray, for instance, for the, for the tragic attack on that childcare center in Thailand. I know those parents are in your prayers. And then there are the personal struggles that I know some of us are facing at this time. Serious health concerns, relationship problems, uh, issues at work, got concerns about finances, uh, worries about your loved ones. So there's so much to be praying about, isn't there? And that's why the prayer week is such a great space, time out of our busy weeks just to come and sit at the Father's, um, uh, to sit with the Father and receive from him, to pour out your needs like children to a loving Father. And so there's so much to be praying about, uh, and, and, and we, we, we might think, where do we begin? Where do we begin? Now, all these things are certainly worthy of our prayers, but what is striking from our passage today is the Apostle Paul actually starts in a very different place. Out of all the things he could be praying for, now he's writing uh, to this little church in Ephesus, 
You know, uh, if you've been with us in previous week, we'll know that this is a, a small community of Christians. They're all young in the faith, and they're, and they're struggling to make a living in this huge pagan city, and they're facing persecution, and they're worshipping in the, in, in the shadow of the great temple of Artemis, which is at Ephesus. And so you may have thought of all the things Paul might be praying for this church. He could be praying for protection for them against uh, violence and persecution. He could have been praying uh, for provision of their material needs. People, uh, scholars think that they, they, they were facing uh, sort of economic embargoes, that they were struggling to make ends meet. You might think that he would pray for perseverance for them, to live for Jesus, or perhaps for boldness of them. To, to speak about this Jesus uh, in this sort of uh, in this um, arena, which was really hostile about hearing the good news about Jesus. So, of all these things, he could have prayed. Instead, he prays this in verse sixteen. If you've got your Bibles open, it says this: "I pray that out of His glorious riches, He, that's God the Father, this is what He prays, may strengthen you with power through His Spirit." may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what he prays. So out of all the things we could be praying for, the world, the nation, the church, our own needs, the Apostle Paul brings us back to this simple prayer that I want us to be praying for ourselves today, that God would strengthen us with power through his spirit. Because if we get this, if we get this, if we are strengthened by God's power through his spirit, we will have the resources to face whatever else may be coming our way. And Paul actually prays, if you look at it, two things in relation to this power. He prays that we would receive this power, but this power would be for two things. Firstly, it says in verse 17, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit so that, what's the next bit he says, Christ may dwell in in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then uh, a little later, in verses 17 to 18, he prays that we may have power. Again, he uses that. That we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses all understanding. So that's Paul's prayer in a nutshell. And we can think, well, we've got it. Thank you, David. Let's carry on, uh, head out to refreshments. But you know I don't like to let you off so easily. Um, So he prayed that he would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in in our hearts and that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So this is, this is Paul's prayer. This is what he prayed. Um, but, but let's pause for a moment to consider what this really means. What does it mean? Well, Paul, let's not forget, are not writing to people who don't already know Jesus. These are committed Christians. Yes, young Christians, but they are committed Christians. And he's praying that Christ may dwell in their hearts. And he's praying that they would know the love of Christ. It maybe doesn't start doesn't quite make sense to us when we begin to think about this because everybody who becomes a Christian, well, Christ by the Holy Spirit has already come 
into the heart. That's what we know from Scripture. Christ, when the moment that you come to Christ, Christ comes into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, then, then if he is Lord of your life, then Christ is already in your heart. But what Paul is praying here is that Christ wouldn't just come into our hearts, but Christ would dwell well. And that's a very different word because when Christ moves in, he makes a house into a home. You know, he takes down, as it were, the old dusty curtains and he, and he gets the strips of wallpaper off the wall and he redecorates. It's like those challenges that you sometimes see. But instead of, instead of like transforming a house in 60 minutes, actually sometimes it takes years for Christ to redecorate the, the, our, our hearts, to redecorate our lives. And he is the new owner of the house and he has different tastes and he has different standards. And some of the things that are in our lives, Christ wants us to get rid off and for some of us Christ may be resident in our lives but he's perhaps not president of our lives he's resident but not president and so I want to 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 ask you this morning to to prayerfully consider whether Jesus does have access to all the rooms of your heart you know does he have access to your bedroom Does he have access to your study, to what goes on in your work life? Or do you sort of leave him at home? Is he allowed into your work life? Is he allowed into your social life? Is he allowed into the lounge? Or do you sort of leave him back at home? Is he just stuck in the hallway for you to get out midweek or or maybe on a Sunday morning? Paul, right into the Christians, prays that Christ would dwell, would come and make their, their, his home in our lives, dwell in our hearts through faith. And then he prays this, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you might be saying, yes, David, you speak about it enough. Yes, we know that God loves us. And the Ephesians are probably thinking, yes, we get it. We know that God loves us, that we're a child of God, and that God loves us so much that he died upon the cross for us. So why is Paul, out of all the things he could be praying for, praying that they would get this love? It's because there is a difference between having it and experiencing it. It's not, it's not about head knowledge. For as our passage says, this is a love that surpasses knowledge. And it's not even, even about our feelings or our emotions, because actually it goes deeper than this, into the very core of our beings. It's much deeper than just our feelings and emotions. It can go up and down. Uh, you may have heard of uh, an 18th century uh, 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 American preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and he once spoke in one of his sermons uh, of this difference that, that we need to pray about. And he described it this way. There are two ways in which to know honey is sweet. You can know it with your mind and your, your rationality, or you can know it with your tongue and with sensation. You can know it because people tell you and you believe it, or you can know it because you've tasted it yourself. And this is what Jonathan Edwards says. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. 
You see, when Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ, he's using a particular word. It's quite a forceful word. It, it, it uses a word, grasp, that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And, and that word grasp has that sense of wrestling, that forceful wrestling. And sometimes in prayer, when we're struggling, like Jacob, we are to wrestle with God. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that we need to wrestle with ourselves. We need to wrestle the truth that God loves us into our hearts. We need to reflect on it. We need to, we need to pray it into our lives. We need to grasp it. Because when we move from mind to sensation, from being confident that honey is sweet, because everyone knows honey is sweet, for tasting it for the first time, well, this changes everything. This changes everything. And this is why the psalmist would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it is possible for us to be here today and have been coming to church for many years and, and to know and to be confident and to be sure of God's love, but have never have encountered it. To know the love of Christ, but never have grasped it, never have wrestled it into our hearts. And so this is the, the content of Paul's prayer. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we would grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is what Paul is praying. And so the next question I want to ask is, why does Paul pray this? Why out of everything he could pray for, does he pray this? Why is it an important prayer? It is because it is the hinge of Christian living. It is the hinge of Christian living. You see, if you was here last week, you will know that the first half of chapter three, which we looked at last, last week, is like a digression, like a side thought for Paul. You know, he opens verse three, uh, sorry, chapter three, verse one, with these words, for this reason. And then he sort of gets sidetracked and, and he takes a small digression to encourage the church not to be disheartened when they face suffering. And then suddenly he picks back up his train of thought here with these same three words in verse 17, for this reason. And so he's picking it up. You know, you can almost, in a way, take out, not that we ever would do that with scripture, but, but, but you know, chapter three, the verse 16 verse, just a digression. And so he, he's going from chapters one and two, and then he says, for this reason. And then he prays these eight short verses. And it's an incredible prayer, and it's like the hinge to Christian living between uh, chapters one and two and what comes after it in chapter four. Again, if you've been following our sermon series, you will know that from chapters one and two, Paul has been explaining to us what a great salvation we have in Christ, what an amazing thing God has done for us. And, and if you look forward to what goes next, the opening verse of chapter four, we find these words, verse one. As a prisoner of the Lord then, in light of all this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So what, what's happening here? We're moving from chapters one and two, from what God has done for us into chapter four, obedience to live in the Christian life, to living a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And, and where can we get the power for this Christian living, to live as Christ would want to, to us to, to live? Well, it's this prayer. 
This prayer is the hinge for us because without it, it doesn't work. Without it, we're not really following Jesus. We're trying to sort of pull ourselves up by our, by our, by our own shoelaces. But with it, with this prayer, we have the power to live for Jesus. Because if we can truly grasp the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, if we can taste and see that the Lord is good, if Christ dwells in our hearts, then we are empowered and inspired to live the new life which God calls us to, a life with Jesus at the center. A life of obedience and trust, not based on our feelings that, oh, we must try harder, we must do better, but a life of obedience growing out of and as a response to the love of Christ, which we have personally encountered in our lives. And this is the hinge to Christian living. If we can truly grasp the love of Christ, then in response, we will freely choose to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. And so we pray for this for you today. I can remember that first encounter. God was very gracious to me. I was doing an alpha course and, and I was sort of getting it up here. I, was, I, was, uh, I, I knew about it up here and I knew about the cross and we just had to say, and then, and then, and then someone just said, I want you to pray that God re- re- revealed the meaning of the cross to you. And as I was there, I thought, okay, I'm getting this and I'll just pray God reveal the meaning of the cross to me. And I was just overcome, like uh, overcome by the, this weighty sense of God's love for me. And quite literally, it, I was a bit of a rogue at university, but here I was in front of a room full of people, weeping, unable to move off my seat. And all I could feel was God, God's love for me, God's love for me. And from that moment, it changed my life. It radically changed my life. I can remember phoning my mum and said, Mum, I've become a Christian. She says, David, you're drunk again. Call me in the morning. But, but actually, from that moment, there was a radical shift because I'd encountered the love of God. So um, this is Paul's prayer for us. You know, and we even see that this is the case you know, in this passage today. You know, we've got this sort of dash. What does Paul pray? That, he will, that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may grasp the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And then we have this, this dash to which all these prayers are pointing. Verse 19, and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. So this is all the stuff he's praying. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does it mean to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God? Staggering though it might seem, it seems that we are praying to be filled with God's perfection, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. John Stott, uh, in his commentary on his passage, writes this, we are filled not with so much as unto the fullness of God, God's fullness or perfection becomes the standard or level to which we pray to be filled. To be holy as God is holy. To be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. How do we get the resources to be holy as God is holy? To be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. We get it through encountering the love of Christ. 
Why is this important? Because it's the hinge for Christian living. It takes the great theological truths of chapters one and two from our heads, and as this passage says, it says it roots it and grounds it in our hearts that we may have the power to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received, that our lives may, but might, may reflect the beauty and the holiness of Christ. So we've looked at what the prayer is. We've also looked at why this prayer is important for us to pray. And lastly, in a few minutes that we've got remaining, I just wanna look at how do we get this love of God from our mind to our very being, to the core of our being? Well, to be able to grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, by definition, it surpasses knowledge, it surpasses our capacity, it is beyond ourselves. To grasp this love for Christ to dwell in our hearts, it needs to be a move of God. God needs to reveal himself to us. And that's why, you know, one of the most important things that we have going on with Alpha is prayer. Pray for Alpha, because people don't become Christians because they're on an Alpha course. People become Christians because God reveals himself. And we need to pray that God would reveal himself to these people and to our loved ones. However, um, so whilst this revelation is a gift from God to us, there are three important practices that we can adopt which indicate to God that we are seeking him, that we are seeking this inner transformation, that we are seeking this inner revelation. In scripture it says, draw near to God that he may draw near to you. How can we draw near to God? Well, the first is this, regular sustained prayer that seeks God's presence. Regular sustained prayer that seeks God's presence. Prayer that seeks his face, not just his hands. For example, uh, the the 19th century uh, uh, missionary to China, James Hudson Taylor, used to pray this prayer every single day. And I think it's a great prayer to pray. Lord Jesus, make yourself to me a living, bright reality. Could we start our day with that prayer? Lord Jesus, make yourself to me a living, bright reality. Regular, sustained, seeking prayer. Go up there, pray for the needs of the church, but pray for God's presence to fill your hearts. Secondly, aligning our lives with God's world. That's the second thing we can do because we cannot expect God to reveal the living bright reality of his love for us whilst we're in active rebellion against him in one or more areas of our lives. We need to be, we need to seek to be faithful to God, to live in obedience to his will, to bow in submission to his rule over our lives. And we see this reflected in this prayer of Paul's. So in the opening verse, verse 14, Paul writes this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now what you need to understand is that Paul was a Jew and the usual Jewish way of of praying would have been standing up. We see this, for instance, with Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, both of which are praying standing up. But there's, there's odd occasions like Ezra. Ezra gets down on his knees to pray for the nation. And, and, and Jesus, he's on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, praying on your knees was unusual. And it indicated a degree of earnestness. Of, 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 uh, it, it, kneeling reflected wholehearted, determined, you know, committed prayer. 
And in this way, Paul is kneeling. Well, he's reflecting the, the practice of regular, sustained, seeking prayer. He's coming to God and saying, God, I, 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 I want to meet you. I want to, 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 to have this living, bright reality of your presence in my life. He's kneeling. He's petitioning God. But also, kneeling in this context also reflected a level of submission to authority. It indicated a level of obedience, our second point that we're talking about. Because as, uh, as does the mention of the word father in this prayer. Because father, in Paul's context, did mean intimacy. Yes, it did mean intimacy. But father, in Paul's context, also meant a sense of authority. And therefore, by kneeling, Paul's posture reflected his inner reality, one of seeking God wholeheartedly and also of seeking to live in obedience to God's will, to bow the knee to God's will. Regular sustained prayer that seeks God's presence, aligning our lives to God's will. And thirdly, the practice we should adopt is this, prioritizing Christian community. This is where the rubber hits the road prioritizing Christian community. Because Jesus didn't just establish a church because he thought it'd be a nice thing for, for Christians to do on a Sunday morning. You know, the church is God's idea and he says it's very important. God knows that we don't ever, we might drift along or more likely drift away if we don't come to church. We might at the very best drift along, but most probably drift away. But, 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 the, but, but how do we grow in holiness? How do we grow in love and devotion? Where does iron sharpen iron? Where do we grow in discipleship? We do it in community with one another. Community is God's idea. The church is God's idea. For through it, we become more and more like Jesus. And so it should be of no surprise at all to find the importance of community right at the heart of Paul's prayer. In fact, Paul you know, would not understand anyone who would be able to call themselves a Christian without being a part of a Christian community that meets together regularly. It just wouldn't have been on his radar. It, it, it's, it, it's moved throughout all of his words written in the New Testament. For instance, in verses 17 to 19, he prays this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have the power, five words, together with all the saints. Where do we find this power? Together. Together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses understanding. It's in community that we grasp this love. Do you want the love of God to permeate your soul? Do you want to be changed, or do you want to just try and change yourself? Do you want to be changed by God's love? Well, do you want to taste and see the, the love of Christ? Well, commit yourself to community. Make meeting together with Christians on a Sunday and midweek in our groups, or however you want to do it, around your dinner table. Make meeting together with Christians a priority in your life, for it is together with all the saints that we grasp the love of Christ. How do we get the love of God from mind to sensation? Regular, sustained, seeking prayer, aligning our lives to God's will and prioritizing Christian community. Let us stand. We're going to pray and, uh, and we're going to ask God to come and, uh, and, and reveal himself to us.